0: Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Before we get started, I wanted to to share something. I wasn't actually planning on sharing it in uh, um, in this service because it happened in first service, but I think that it's beneficial for for you and maybe a word of the Lord for someone in here today. Um, last Sunday, I, I preached on pretty much primarily because First uh, Corinthians 14 was primarily about the gift of tongues. It was a message about, the gift of tongues. And uh, it's funny, this morning I was in men's morning prayer and a guy said, Yeah, I shared that message with a friend of mine. She said it was the best message on the gift of tongues she's ever heard. And I was like, I think it's probably the only message on the gift <laughs> of tongues she's ever heard. So there's not much to compare with. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, went, we just did a deep dive into that gift and the interpretation of tongues and, and all of that. And so at the end of first service, I'm assuming that most of you weren't there. Um, we, uh, I came down and it was during the last song and Pastor Tom was sitting down there and he was like, "Hey, um, so uh, Jim Suyer has uh, feel like he has a word in tongues." And I was like, "Okay, uh, well, uh, all, all right, okay." And so uh, we're like, "Well, we can't we can't talk about this, preach about this, and then and then." Okay, so like, let's let's figure out. As, as he prayed about for an interpretation, he's like, he has, but he really he just doesn't have it. And I was like, well, okay, well, it's not out of order. It's not like he's standing up in the middle of service, so let's give it a go. So at the end of second service or first service, I had him come up here, Pastor Tom, and and he shared the uh, the the word in in tongues, and um, and it was awkward, right? And everyone's standing here. I was like, so does anybody have the an interpretation? And nobody raised their hand. That's because it's awkward, right like um, it was just as hard for him to come up to be able to share that as it is for any of you to say like yeah I <laughs> give me the mic, I think I can interpret the thing that nobody else knows um, and so it was this as he was as he was giving the word, it was really interesting because like I've never experienced like uh, that interpretation of tongues things that it, it, Paul talks about, but as he was talking like I kept half of me is listening and the other half of me is like what are we going to do like what <laughs> like what, what what next you know like i'm the one with the mic i have no idea like i'm like okay let's give it a go and um, but as he's talking i kept getting this word and this is the only thing that i kept hearing it was the word children and it wasn't that he said the word children i just heard the word children um, like three or four times and but I'm not like, I'm not going to be like, well, I got the, I got the interpretation in children. <laughs> You're blessed. Go, right? You know, like, hallelujah. You know, so I was like, I, I got nothing. But I just kept hearing it. And I just noted it. I was like, well, it would be really cool if whoever has the interpretation has the word children in it. Um, that would just be, at least for me, that I wasn't just like, you know, crazy. And so over the next 24 hours, we had four people come up with an interpretation. Now, it's interesting because two of the people were here in person, and the other two were our church at home watching online that had texted um, Pastor Tom and then emailed me. It was really kind of interesting because, like, one person had, like, an open kind of vision as the word was being given, and then another person had, like, a statement, like a sentence And one person had like almost like a verbatim paragraph. Like it would have been like a word-for-word translation of kind of what it said. And so I brought it to the staff on Tuesday um, in our staff meeting. And I was like, hey, so I got a text, an email, and two pieces of paper. And so like, let's talk about it. Let's just see if there's anything that maybe you guys feel like the Holy Spirit like bears witness with you. So we prayed through it. And um, it was really cool because I was actually looking for what I call like a common thread like, okay, if if everyone's kind of hearing things, and we all hear things differently. I don't know if you realize that's like, but all of us hear God differently. And I think that's really important for us to realize that like um, I heard children, <laughs> that was it. Someone else got an open vision, another person got a sentence, kind of a summary, and another person got like a word for word. And so I was like, well, what are you guys hearing in the midst of it? And so I wrote down these common threads that were kind of in at least two, if not three, Uh, of those words, and I just believe that it's a word of the Lord, and I believe that maybe there's a reason why I'm even giving it today, a week later, that maybe it's for someone in here today. So here it is. Take courage. Do not be afraid. You are not alone. Be brave. Be bold. You are my children and whom I love. Listen to me. Hear my voice. Trust me. Reach out to me. You are my children. I see you. I am safe. Let my love flow over you. And so, Lord, I just pray that that word um, would just get down on the inside of whoever that's for. If that's for all of us, that that's for one of us, Lord, I pray that it would that seed of your word would find fertile soil to get planted in people's hearts. That they would know that they are seen. That they are heard. God, that you are safe, that we can trust you, that we are your children, that we are your family, your children. Lord, I thank you for that. May it just become real to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isn't that cool? All right, anyway. Um, So we're in a sermon series, like I've been saying, going through 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. Um, This is a, a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Jesus followers in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And so far, we're almost through it. There's chapter 16, and but like we've talked about from the beginning, like divisions in the church, um, how to deal with them, what it means to be spiritual, how to be a spiritual leader, how to judge well. He talked about sexual immorality, how to make hard decisions. And then he talked just a couple weeks ago about like, what are the gifts of the Spirit and how do I get one? Um, and then how does the church operate as a church-like family? Or he says like members, of the same body of Christ? What does that look like? And so today, I'd love if you stand with me. We're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, as we honor the reading of God's Word. So we're going to read a a larger uh, portion of this, but I, I love what Paul has to say. He says, "'Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand.'" By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, if you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect, no, no. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. This is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then. When he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing reminder of the Apostle Paul, of what the gospel is all about. I thank you that we can have this hope that's not just making it by and surviving, but that it is for thriving, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so, Lord, we thank you for the hope that is only found in Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, um, so Paul kind of starts out in verse one, and uh, I mean, this is like a heavy portion of scripture, and it kind of he's kind of like a downer, and then he turns things around and um, and and communicates something of, of so much hope um, and inspiration. And he starts out and he says, "Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel." It's interesting to me that he reminds the Corinthians of what the gospel is and the fact that they needed to be reminded of the gospel in general. Um, I'm sure you know this. You've probably heard this before that the word gospel just means good news or good message. Um, And we should kind of know what that means, I guess. But a lot of times it gets watered down or things get added to it. And so the gospel kind of just becomes this nebulous thing that kind of surrounds Christianity and makes us different and 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 who we are. But but I love that Paul is reminding them of the gospel because we forget. And we don't necessarily forget like the details of it, although sometimes we do. Um, I think that sometimes, many times, and we find this in church in general, right, is that we we begin adding our own thoughts our own doctrine to the gospel, either to make the good news into better news, right? Or to make the good news into, well, it's become old news, so we need to make it new news because, you know, you got to keep people's attention. And so you create something and add something to the good news to make it great news. And, and I think, well, you know, well, it might need a little bit of help. So we create churches and things around the good news of the gospel. And in our attempt to make the good news better, we complicate it. Um, and we end up making like the good news into hard to understand news. I don't know if you've experienced this before. Have you ever felt like you're in a church and the guy up on the stage with the microphone must be like, you know, he's, got, he's got more understanding of the good news because I mean, I've never went to Bible school. I've never been to seminary. So I don't understand what the good news is. I wanna encourage you in this. That the good news in its simplicity is simple. <laughs> Now, there may be depth to it, but the reality of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to save us, um, is very simple and not hard to understand. And so if somebody's making it hard to understand, it's probably the good news and then some. And so we end up adding these prerequisites so that not just anybody can receive the good news. I mean, you've got to have special understanding in order to receive the good news. And so we end up as church people, in well, even in well-meaning churches, we end up becoming gatekeepers of that which we received for free and we still don't deserve. I'm, I, I just, you know, you need to understand, you need to, you need to grasp this beforehand. In other words, um, it's almost like telling somebody, if you could just get cleaned up before you take a shower, just, yeah, get cleaned up on, before, you, before you take a shower. That, that'd be great. And, and I just want to remind you, like, Paul ends this letter. I mean, he's in chapter 15. He's gone all of these things. And, he, and he, he's talking about essentially re-gospeling the Corinthians. He is re-gospeling them. And I think that sometimes, no matter how long you've been in the faith, it is important to be re-gospeled. To, be re, to come back to the roots, to come back to the thing that is most important. In fact, that's the, 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 the title of my message today is First Importance. And I get it because in verse 3, this is what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what is First important, what is the most important thing that Paul would say about the gospel that you, no matter what you've added or what you've taken away, what is the thing that is of most importance when it comes to the gospel? What is the thing that you, through which you are saved? And he says this, he continues in verse three, he says three things, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I mean, literally, and then, and then he spends the rest of this chapter talking about why this is of most importance. So please don't miss this. when he's talking about the gospel and he's regospeling the Corinthians and talking about the things that are of most importance, he doesn't say anything about the teachings of Jesus. And those are great, and we should know them and we should apply them to our lives, and they are life to us. But he doesn't talk about those things. He doesn't actually even mention the miracles that Jesus did, although they were so significant and life-changing as he fed the 5,000, as he did all of these great and mighty works. Paul is going to say something so simple and yet so profound, and he's reminding the Corinthian followers of Jesus, don't just follow Jesus because he's a good teacher. Don't just follow Jesus because he's an activist. Don't just follow Jesus because he was a miracle worker. Don't just follow Jesus because he was a really good guy and grew an awesome beard. That All those things are true. Maybe. We don't know about the beard part. All of those things are true, hopefully. But good teachers have come before Jesus and after Jesus, haven't they? Miracle workers even have come before Jesus and have come after Jesus. There have been really good guys Really good men that have come after Jesus and before Jesus. And these people are notable and they can start a movement and they can draw a crowd and a following. But there is one thing that sets Jesus Christ apart. And Paul says it is of first importance. What is that? It's this He rose from the dead, y'all. Easter happened just like scripture said it would. He rose from the dead just like he said that he would. Like the bodily resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So you're like, well, Pastor Justin, do you, like, you really believe that, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Absolutely. I mean, do you really think that like, I, 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 should, I should believe, that that's important for me to believe? Too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul actually says that it's of first importance, and he outlines why it's so important. Verse 14, he says this, and this is, this is where he gets harsh. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What? I'm going to just put it in plain, plain English. Paul's argument is that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is useless. Useless. He's saying all the great teachings that Jesus did, all the great things that Jesus did are not the end of it. And if they are the end of it, then it would be useless to be worshiping him after he died. We don't worship an inspirational dead guy. That is, that is maybe that's like the that's the point. I should have named it that. We don't worship an inspirational dead guy. This is the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate. That if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then none of this matters. But if he did, then all of it matters. Everything he said, everything he did, all the miracles that he wrought, all the things that he did. All of those things matter, not just because he's an inspirational dead guy, but because he did what no, what no dead guy does. They rise from the dead, right? Paul's like, this church, don't miss this. This is of first importance. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then none of it matters. But if he did, then all of this matters. This is how significant it is. Paul's saying either it's all true or none of it's true. Either Jesus you got to wrestle with this. Either he was a lunatic, and well, nobody should follow a lunatic because that makes you crazy if you follow crazy. Or he was a liar and he knew it and he was holding up some sort of a hoax. And not only was he lying, but we believe a lie and we've carried on and passed on a lie, which makes us even worse, right? Or, or he is the risen Lord of all. Either he's crazy, a liar, or just possibly. He's the Lord of all. And, and Paul takes it a step further. He says in verse 15, the next verse, he says, more than this, more than this, we are then found to be false witnesses, liars, about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. He's saying if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, y'all are believing a lie. And, and you're kind of wasting your time. No, no you're definitely wasting your time here. This is a big deal. I mean, it's just like laying it out there to the Corinthians. That's why this is so important. And and from what we know about the Corinthians, because this is who he wrote the letter to, so let me give you a little context, is that they were uh, an ancient Greek city full of Greek philosophers. And what we know about Greek philosophers is that they don't believe in the resurrection of the body. And so what was probably happening, and I think what Paul is maybe addressing because of the context that he writes and spends an entire chapter talking about the significance and the importance of first importance of the, the, Jesus being risen from the dead, is that I think what might have been happening was the Corinthian Christians were thinking, well, we're not necessarily adding anything to the gospel, things that are like not essential. But they were being tempted to remove something Of most essential part of the gospel, the resurrection. And they were taking probably a ton of flack about this whole Jesus resurrected from the dead thing. And so they start waffling in it because they don't want to appear stupid by all the Greek philosophers that are smarter than them around them. You ever been around smart people and you just feel dumb? Especially in your Christianity, they're like, you really believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? (laughs) Are you serious? You're like, Yeah. And they're like, oh, like and they just kind of laugh at you with that like snarky little laugh, right? Like the, you get to this place where, well, they're thinking, well, maybe, maybe this resurrection thing isn't that crucial. Maybe it's not that central to Christianity. Maybe it's, not that, maybe it's not that big of a deal. And maybe you can relate to this because in our day and age, you know you hear the gospel you encounter the presence of god you come to faith in jesus you're born again you're filled with the holy spirit but what happens life happens school happens work happens people that that don't believe in jesus happen right maybe your philosophy professor just kind of laughed at you because you believed in such a myth of jesus christ rising from the dead or maybe you maybe you learned about the well, the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition and all the horrible things that have been done by the church in years past to kind of like in the name of Jesus. And you think like, I don't want to be associated with something like this. Or you listen to philosophers that say like, religion is the opiate of the masses and it's a big crutch for people who are weak-willed and don't have anything to be able to stand on. And so they lean onto religion because they're just weak. Or maybe you watch that Netflix documentary where they're like, I don't think Jesus was actually dead. I think he might've just been in like a coma or maybe sleeping. And we just kind of woke him up and then Ta-da! he's alive. Like, I don't know. There's all of these things that happen in our lives. And we start to wonder, is it really that important? Like, is, is, is the resurrection that central? Like, I mean, Jesus did a lot of great things. He He taught a lot of great people. He he did, he, he, he rose people, he even rose a guy from the dead. He did all of these amazing things and, and miracles. Is it like, is it really that important that, that he rose from the dead? And we have churches and denominations, folks, that don't hold to the resurrection of Jesus. Because maybe we can appear more intellectually cogent if we just drop it. Just get rid of it. It's not that big of a deal anyway. I mean, it's not really that central. We can all get along without that, Right? And Paul leans right into it. He actually wades right into our doubt, right into that question. And he reminds us, folks, if you take away the resurrection, you take away Christianity. And when you take away the resurrection, all of this, this included, what we're doing here becomes a ruse, a myth, a lie, a really weird like cult following of a guy who did a lot of great things and grew a really awesome beard but lacks any power to save us right now. That's it. And he's like, y'all wasting your time. In fact, if you say that Jesus Christ is your savior and he didn't raise from the dead, that's ridiculous at best and a delusion at worst. Futile, useless. Your faith is useless. I mean, that, this is where Paul's like, oh, go, go, no, no. You think that this could be compromised and you could swipe this under the, I'm telling you, either this is true or none of it's true. That's how much this matters. That's how much this is of first importance. And he goes on in verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, died in Christ are lost. You're never gonna see them. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people, most to be pitied. Paul says, if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is no hope in this life. He's just like laying it out there, man. He, like, he says in verse 32 in a different way. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Just live it up. What's the point? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, All this is meaningless and you're wasting your time. And and when life has no meaning, then we end up worshiping at the altar of our own comfort and make our own comfort our God. Church, we do not worship an inspirational dead guy. We are are not holding to a a religion taught by a nice moral person, a, a nice guy. Jesus didn't die a horrible death to uphold some sort of Judeo-Christian ethic, or or worse, a political conservatism. He came to make a way where there was no way. Paul's saying that it is because of the resurrection that you're not just wasting your time. And 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 it is the resurrection that made a way for you to have resurrection power now. Like, real, real power, real hope, real freedom right now. Not just because he had a lot of great things to say and they wrote a book about him and you should probably listen to some of these great things that he had to that he had to say and things that he did. He's saying that like if he rose from the dead, then there is real hope for you right now, today, 2023. If the resurrection happened, then then deaf ears can open and sickness can be healed and addiction can be loosed from people's lives and sin can be forgiven. And not only in the sweet by and by when you go to meet your maker, but like today, today is the day of your salvation. Amen? And then Paul goes in and he talks about like, okay, so if, if Jesus did raise from the dead, this is what it means for you. This is the difference that it makes. This is why it matters. He says in verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Can I remind you, if Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, your faith in him gives you more and better life. That's what he's saying. He's like, in Christ, You are made fully alive. John 10.10 says, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Abundant life. Not just to get by and survive, but to thrive in this life today. Amen? He gives us abundant life. And it is through that resurrection that we are now given this new life in Jesus. And it's not just to survive, it's, it's to thrive. It's not just to cope with today, it's hope for tomorrow, it's hope for eternity. That we are given a gift that only is wrought through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Apart from that, you're wasting your time. And he goes on in verse 23. And I want to remind you that hope has a name. I'll tell you what his name is. He says, but in each turn, Christ, the first fruits, when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, church, can I remind you that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you're like, I don't know, does this like resurrection thing really matter? Yeah, kind of, sort of, kind of a big deal. You probably shouldn't just be like, yeah, we'll kind of like drop that off. No, that's kind of central. It is actually what Paul says of first importance, that, that Jesus didn't come just to simply teach you good things, although he did. He came to bring the kingdom of God near to you, to make the kingdom of God possible for you to even come near to. He came to set the captives free. He came to destroy the work of the enemy over you, to destroy death once and for all for you. So does it matter? Yeah, it kind of does. It's kind of a, a, a big deal. And it is through Jesus' resurrection that this life that we're living and this death that comes to every single one of us is not the end. He says the last thing that he defeats is death. And it is through the resurrection, the death that Jesus has conquered the grave. It is through that resurrection that we have the promise of eternal life. Amen? Yes. Lastly, if Christ did rise from the dead, this changes everything. Let me remind you, verse 3. Paul starts out this whole portion of the scripture. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what did he pass on to them? Not, it wasn't only just the doctrine, you know, that Christ, Christ came, that he died and that he, and that he arose from the dead. Um, he doesn't just say you should believe me because I say so. He doesn't say you should believe me because the scripture, the Bible says so. He says, you should believe in the resurrection because the risen Jesus just kept showing up. He didn't stay dead like good dead bodies do. He just kept showing up. So you're like, well, but how do, I, how do I know that? He literally outlines it for you. Let me just go through it one more time and remind you. He says in verse 5, The risen Jesus appears to Cephas, Peter, one of the apostles, and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, he's like, look, if you don't believe me, ask any of those 500 people that saw Jesus in that one common grand delusion where 500 people saw him at the same time, saw the same thing that just doesn't happen. Some of them have died, but if you don't believe me, there's a few hundred that are still living. Why don't you ask them about what they saw? And then he goes on, he says, and then he appeared to James. If you don't know who James is, James is Jesus' half-brother. He's a brother from the same mother, but a different father, obviously, right? So how many of you guys have older, older brothers, older siblings? Let's just say older siblings. That'll probably be more people. Okay, older siblings. Now, I know that your older sibling has no problem believing that they are the Messiah, Because that's how older siblings are, right? They're just like, I know I'm better than everyone. I'm the OG. Parents like knew that they could trust me and I have everything controlled and all of those things. But how hard would it be for you to believe, to be convinced that your older sibling is the Messiah? I mean, they have no problem believing. I know that because I'm one. (laughs) But you have a pretty hard time believing that the kid who tortured you uh, is actually the Messiah of the world. I'm just probably going to throw it out there, right? This is James, who the risen Jesus, his half-brother, shows up to. Not only does James be like, huh, my dead brother just came back from dead and then talked to me. He believes, so convinced that what he saw was true, held so unswervingly to this truth that he becomes a pillar, a, a leader in the church of Jerusalem and leads and carries on that which his brother began. That's crazy ridiculous that, that James comes to this, this faith. And then it says, and then, verse 7, and then to the apostles. So the problem with disproving the, the resurrection is all of those pesky eyewitnesses. They're just everywhere. There there are so many eyewitnesses that even unbelievers knew that it was true. Like you don't find um, any ancient authorities, you don't find um, historians like Josephus writing, like I wish those Christians would just quit lying about the resurrection. I wish they would just give up on that hoax that that thing that they just keep saying happened, but everybody knows it didn't happen. They all just they all got together and just made up this story. No, 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 no. There were so many stinking people that saw the risen Jesus that they're just like, I don't, even unbelievers were like, I don't know what to say. I mean, this guy, he came, he died, and then everyone saw him around. He hung out with them, ate with them. is awkward. Like, I mean, what, what do you say to that? There's so many people that experience this. And not only that, they didn't just Jesus, but 10 out of the 11 remaining disciples die a horrible martyr's death, tortured for their faith. And the other one who didn't die a horrible martyr's death was exiled to the island of Patmos, to a prison island, to, to spend out the rest of his days and finally dies of old age. And every single one of these men went still holding unwaveringly up to the point of their death to this one truth. And this is the truth, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and I saw him. And I saw him. Like, I don't even know what to say. Like, I, you can torture me. You can pull up my fingernails. You could do everything that you want to do. You can even take my very life. But I just, I, I can't unsee what I saw. I've experienced it. And I refuse to recant. For a lie? For a hoax? Who's getting rich off that? There's no book deals going on there. Let me just say, I know, we, I know we got these Bibles. You think everyone's making money? No, none of these guys who risked and paid their, their ultimate life for this, they didn't make any money off this thing, right? Nobody got popular off of this. They were persecuted, tortured, and died. And what we find is that instead of being like, okay, 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 no, you know, you know what, you know what, just, just don't, don't, you're going to break my arm, please don't. Please don't, please don't. You know what? It's not that big of a deal. I didn't actually see him. They just told me. We all got into a big room and they told me what I was supposed to say. No, don't you think that one of those 500 people would just be like, this is not worth it. Yeah. At some point, if all of you in here, I guarantee you, I could get a, probably a few of you just be like, I'm out guys. This is, I'm not dying for this. This is stupid. Right? Yeah. And, and you'll see Instead of hiding out in fear, instead of coming up with a hoax and all these things, these guys are out there preaching in boldness, in power about the risen Jesus. And as they do, all of a sudden now gifts of the Spirit start popping up and healings and miracles and prophecies and all of the things that Jesus did begin happening through the life of his followers as they preach in his name. And then Paul in verse 8 says this. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What does he mean by that? That's an odd statement, right? What he means is this. He came late. He's abnormally born in that Jesus had his his disciples, his followers, people that started, you know, following him. They're there. Jesus dies He is buried, he shows up, he walks through walls, he's eating with them, 500 people see him at one time, he visits all of these people, even his brother is convinced that he's the Messiah, and then he ascends to heaven, and then Paul shows up. And Paul is vehemently trying to persecute, prosecute every Christian that is walking on the face of the planet. He hates everything that they stand for because in his mind, it is an affront to Judaism That Jesus was not, is not the Messiah, nor is he risen from the dead. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his life. Knocks him off his high horse. And so Paul's saying, I I didn't believe just because of scriptural prophecy because I know what the prophecies are. I didn't just believe because of all the eyewitnesses. I was persecuting and prosecuting all the eyewitnesses. I believe because he showed up in my life. And I am forever changed. I am forever changed. God just showed up in my life. I was actively trying to deny him. I was actively trying to dismantle the church. And he showed up in my life and changed me from the inside out. And I have never, ever been the same. And it's like, well, but he didn't show up bodily. Like a bodily resurrected Jesus didn't show up in your life. And I think Paul would say, if you were there, it would have been like he's just here with you and me right now. He might as well have been. I've encountered him and he changed me. Why don't you stand with me? (laughs) The problem with um, removing the resurrection from Christianity is that Jesus just kept showing up. And he keeps 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 showing up. And And I know for myself, um, personally, like, I went to church I learned about Jesus. I went to parochial school. I learned about Jesus. I knew people who wouldn't shut up about Jesus. They would, like, act like he was real. (laughs) I came to faith not because I went to church and learned about Jesus or I went to school and learned about Jesus or because my parents believed in Jesus. I came... I came to faith because I encountered him for myself. And he changed my life. And I don't think that you should have any other reason. (laughs) I don't expect you to come to faith because... The Bible says, because I say, or because the person next to you seems really super exuberant during worship, <laughs> they seem excited about Jesus. I think that you should come to the faith the same way that every single person in history has come to faith in Jesus. He shows up. <laughs> he showed up and... In Paul's life, he showed up in Peter's life. He showed up in James' life. He showed up in the 12's life. He showed up in 500 people's life. And he keeps, he showed up in my life. He keeps showing up. He keeps showing up. And I just want to encourage you today. If you're in this place where you've been investigating the Christ and you've got doubts and you've got, you're wrestling with some things and you're like, well, are you saying that um, that I need to make a, a, a leap of a faith to believe something that I can't prove? Yeah, I am. Like no holds barred, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is faith, right? Like, that's the definition of it. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. But I will tell you this. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. So I just want to encourage you today. um, If you're holding out, waiting out for, for me to pull Jesus out of a pocket and be like, here he is. See, I told you he's real. You've been waiting for a very long time. But if you look through the long lineage of people who have given their life to him and have encountered him and hear the testimonies of changed lives, you won't regret it. I want to give you an opportunity and and just invite you to just come to that place and allow him to just, well, arrest you. (laughs) We always have a choice when we're under arrest. We can surrender or we can run, (laughs) right? And I think that the beauty of when when Christ comes and we encounter him, we, we can either run or just surrender and say, I don't understand this. I just, I know that if this is real, and, and these people aren't lunatics and I want that in my life. Why wouldn't I want a relationship with the Creator? So I just want to encourage you today before we head into this last song just to pray this prayer with me and I, care, I guarantee you there is nothing special. This is no hocus pocus. This is no magic trick. This is just coming to a place of saying, God, I, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. I don't know if I, I still have doubts and yet, I want so desperately to come into this place. So maybe you come into a place of surrender. I just want to encourage you to pray this with me. Father God, I am a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. And I believe, even though I doubt, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, that He died that he was buried and then he rose again on the third day. I repent of my sin right now and I ask you that you would come into my life. I choose today to follow you wherever you lead me. I give you control, I surrender, and ask that your Holy Spirit would guide me, empower me to live a life after you. Lord, I pray that it would wash over people in this place. Lord, that for some of us, we needed re-gospeling, and for others of us, maybe it's for the first time that we've heard the gospel, I pray that, that your seed of the word of God would get down on the inside of us, you would change us from the inside out, because it is our only hope. We thank you. We thank you. Let's worship together.